Hey everyone, it's Dr. Marari Simeon. Have you ever asked yourself, what can I create with what I have? During episode 53, Alisa, Rosa, and I talk about our experiences and what we've created with the opportunities given. For me, it's all about perspective. We can choose to create what we want to see in the world, or we can choose to waste the life we've been given, waiting for someone else to create something different with what they have. I invite you into our conversation to hear how we remained authentic to ourselves while creating what we want to see with what we have to work with. And if you have a friend who needs to hear this conversation and isn't a fan of our podcast yet, this is a great episode to get them started. What was a job that you had early in your life before you were 20 where you gained skills that you know made a difference in getting the next job or the next job or the next job or any job that you have now? And what was it? I'm just laughing because I'm thinking, like, was I ever 20? Mary, go ahead. Thanks. I mean, honestly, I started the corporate world since I was 18. I was actually 17 because I did start. I'm one of those few people who actually started in high school. What? Uh, as a co-op. What but, were you doing? Mm-hmm. I was an intern in HR for a corporation. Um, it was Pfizer, actually, before... The company was actually Warner Lambert before it was bought by Pfizer, but I started as an HR intern when I was 17. It was a co-op back then, but my whole life has really been in in human resources. So for me, I look at it a little bit different. I think there were strengths that I've always possessed and they just came to life the more time that I spend working. One of the things that I've always done is I've always had that learning attitude. And to me, even starting in in high school, I always wanted to learn. And when I got put in a different world that I didn't know, I was like, oh, how do I figure this out? Like to me, that was always challenging. And it's a strength that I've been able to build. But I also worked at night. I worked at a bar. And one of the strengths was like, I use my wanting to learn. It's like, okay, I am going to figure they would come in. I already knew what they were going to get. I learned how to make their drink whenever they come in because they were regulars. They loved me because I just knew what they wanted. So to me, I look at it as that was a strength that I've always possessed. And it really helped me grow to be where I am today. Now, did I learn other skills and other capabilities? Absolutely. However, I think a lot of the times there are skills within us that we don't leverage and it is what makes us great. It is what makes us continue to move on. So whether it was at the bar serving drinks or whether it was in corporate America, that hunger for me to learn is what made me be successful. And then once I learn, how do I make it better? Just like today, right? I'm unapologetic about advocating for women and I continue to learn ways to to advocate and help and support. You're like an HR lifer. I am. When people say I studied in high school, it's like, yeah, no, I did. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Wow. I don't think I I knew in high school that such a thing as human resources existed. But I tell you, two things that I think I learned or two jobs that I had that I learned a lot from in my teens and my early 20s, the one that really helped me figure things out and knowing that I could do it, right? That no matter what you know, was in front of me, I was going to overcome and do it. I was very, very clear that I wanted to go university internationally, but my parents couldn't afford it. So I needed a job. And where I lived, there weren't many jobs available. So I 
transformed my room into a tuition academy. <laughs> I'm laughing because, I mean, things like my bed was one of those, like a bunk bed with boards. So I disassembled the bed and I made out of the length of the bed, the twin bed, I made it into a table. I bought those, I don't know how you call them now, like those legs that you can put like the board on top. I painted different colors and I advertised myself throughout the neighborhood that I would teach kids math and English. And I got a bunch of kids that would come to my house, to my room. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Even to this day, I have kids that well, they're not kids anymore, right? They're in their thirties. Who, if I'm in town, they know they know me from that time. <laughs> so, but I mean, for me, it was figuring it out, right? Making it happen. You have an issue, you go solve it. I think to Mirari's point, I think there's something inherited in you that if you know what you want, you're going to go create it. And there's nothing in between your goal and where you are that is going to stop you to the point that you'll do that. And I do remember I did not have a bed and I used to bring this very thin mattress under that table that I had created so I could... I could sleep, right? So that's one. I think, again, the other, and I do remember this so clearly. So when I was in college and and I was in the UK, and again, I've always had to work to support myself, and my parents were very gracious, and they, they supported me in every way they could, but there was only so much in the budget that you could spend. So I always had jobs, and I remember... In England, if you have a Saturday job and you're a student, they call you the Saturday, in my case, the Saturday girl. At a suitcase store, I used to work. But I remember it was a suitcase chain store. The leaders came around to do a market tour and they came to our store. I do remember the power of networking. And I remembered is, I know my supervisor hates me. I remember this feeling of like they gave me the crappiest of the crappiest of the jobs. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> I don't think the suitcase store people are going to hear you. <laughs> no, yeah. they, they, you know, the cleaning of the, of the, of the back room, the organizing and never talk because obviously I was a foreigner and I, my accent was inappropriate. I mean, all those really silly things that one goes through, right? That makes you more resilient. But I remember when these folks came through, I made sure that I was there and they could see me and they could talk to me so I could ask for what I wanted. And what I wanted was a different kind of a schedule because what they gave me was not really conducive with my studies, but they weren't giving it to me. And I stood up for myself and asked for a different schedule and they gave it to me. So, I mean, those things in terms of really overcoming the barriers that you have, as well as, again, knowing the power of who you need to speak to and who needs to, in a way, sponsor you in this case to say, yeah, things are going to change, but you need to be purposeful about it. And I do remember that so clearly. And this is many years ago. I think I was a freshman in college and really it's a very well lesson learned for even today, right? After so, so many years after. Yeah, for me, I think definitely, Alisa, my experiences helped me narrow down the purpose in creating 
what I want to see. And to me, I repeat it again, right? I want to create a world where multicultural women in positions of power is the norm. And I've used my experiences from the past to really hone in on that. So the number one thing that I do is I do not give up when it gets hard. As multicultural women, the shadow that we cast and the impact we have by just being in these roles, by just having this title or being in these positions, we are sending a message. So giving up for me, it's not an option because it's not just about me, it's the rest of the women that are coming behind me and the women that I stand on the shoulders on. So even today, I know, and you and I both know that there are not enough multicultural women, yes, in, in the C-suite, but also in boards. So I intend to serve on a private or public board. I don't do that yet, but I am going to create that. The only way that I can do that is by not giving up. Will it take a while? Yeah, but I'll get there. The second thing that I do is I learn through the experiences that I mentioned that I love to learn and insights is key. So I activate the strengths and the gifts women already possess because I know it was those strengths that I possess that helped me be here today. So whether it's through mentoring, through a conference, through meeting people in, in the supermarkets, that's the second thing I do. And then the third thing I do is I sponsor and I connect people. So if I meet somebody or I hear about an opportunity, I will sponsor somebody. They may not even know, but I don't care. That's not the point. The point is that I need to be able to sponsor others or connect them. So to me, those are the things that I do. And, and the fourth thing that I do is I'm unapologetic about it. It is what it is. This is what I'm going for. This is what I'm creating. Either you join me or you just get out of my way. <laughs> That's my mission. <laughs> it sounds like you had your mission from an early age and Rosa had this entrepreneurial spirit from an early age. And it, both of you are like, I'm going to go for what I want. However I need to do it, I'm going to make it happen. My favorite job, uh, most of my high school, I was in babysitting. But when I was 19, I wanted to start a fashion magazine in the future. That was my thing. I wanted to start a fashion magazine to empower women. I did not like Seventeen magazine, but I just felt like they were talking about topics that were too... I was kind of prudish, right? But it was like too adultish. And I was like... I'm not wondering how to have sex with my boyfriend. I don't even have a boyfriend. Like, why is this, you know, <laughs> things like that. I just felt like there has to be, some, why isn't there a magazine for me and for my friends? Because we're not in this place where everyone else is. But I love fashion too. So in my mind, I was like, well, I need to work in fashion first. And so at the time in 1999 or, I don't know, somewhere around there, Y2K era, I was like, well, Banana Republic obviously is where I should work. <laughs> and we didn't have one in Fresno <laughs> in Central California. We didn't have a Nordstrom. We had Macy's. But there wasn't a Banana Republic. And I only went when I was out of town. So I moved to Sacramento. I had a cousin that lived there. And I only moved to have a retail job. Like, that was my first corporate move. <laughs> And it was because I wanted to like, be in the scene. And, and also, Sacramento is not a fashion-forward place. <laughs> but compared to Fresno, it was. <laughs> and I remember every day coming in, our we had this amazing manager. And he would give us, like, best dress of the day. And my goal was to always get best dressed. And I got it a lot. I got really good at, like, getting the look down, getting that Banana Republic vibe. <laughs> 
on lockdown, even though most of our clients walking in, our customers walking in the door were like in their 40s. I was 19, like dressed like a 40-year-old, basically. Um, (laughs) But for me, I think it was one of the things that I learned and really fell in love with is it sparked when you were talking about this, Madati, because I learned how to accentuate women's gifts, like the way they looked and their bodies and how to make them look better. And it didn't really matter what size they were. I could get them looking amazing no matter what and on trend and help them feel good in the meantime. And I know I've definitely carried that through in how I coach today. That gift is that strength is what Rosa mentioned it earlier. You take that with you and it's transferable skills. So it didn't matter their strength on how they look and making them look great. Now with what you do, you're taking out their strength and really bringing them to life with the work that you do. I mean, it's extraordinary. The, the gifts that you've been able to really grow and carry with you, right? It's like, I love doing this. And now that is what you do, right? You have a career out of it. And it's all about empowering women and people in their vision. I love it. You know, I was just listening to you and in terms of how that has translated in what you do today. And the one thing that I should have added to those jobs is I have a multitude of jobs. I was always multi-employed, but I... I'm just laughing because I remember this so clearly and how much money I used to charge a day for doing this. (laughs) I used to do career consulting. I honestly, I was in my 20s. I did not have a career. Why does this Um, not surprise me, but amaze me all at the same time? Exactly. But I, I used to get parents who bring their recent grads from school to help them think through what they wanted to do next. And that came out so naturally to me. And I tell you, I used to charge a lot of money for this. And I was surprised that they gave me that money at the time. But then when I see what I used to do then and what I do today, to your point, Alisa, it's pretty remarkable how so early on you start or you kind of gravitate to something that would translate in a lot of different ways into what you end up doing in the future, right? It may not be the exact same thing, but it has a lot of the traits already there. It's pretty remarkable. It's your calling. You start what you think is like, oh, I'm good at this or I'm going to figure it out. But just think about that. Yes, you were making money off of that, but it was kind of like your hobby, right? Because you were doing other things and it turned out to be your calling because even in what you do today, yes, it may have a different title, but that's what you're doing. So it's pretty cool. And that's why I think I love so much really bringing out the strengths in people because it's something that they're going to love to do no matter what. And you're putting your energy where you can have an impact because it comes natural to you and it's something you love. And it comes from an authentic place, ultimately. So I haven't even introduced the episode (laughs) today or the topic, (laughs) but I love it. I like to affectionately call these episodes ARM episodes, Elisa, Rosa, Medadi. But formally, this is What Rules Podcast, and we are here to help women outsmart the game to advance their career. (laughs) 
the name of our company is Color Forward. The name of our podcast is What Rules. But we want to bring women all the way up through the C-suite. And we do this by interviewing successful women who have overcome cultural barriers, mastered the art of resilience. And what we've found is through these interviews, they're guiding principles that have guided all of these women along the way. So with me today, I have Rosa Santos, who is an HR executive and leadership expert. And I have Dr. Madati Simeon, who's an HR executive and motivational speaker. My name is Elisa Monjadas. I'm a vision producer and executive coach at The Happy Cactus. And today we are talking all about how to create what you want to see. And so we've taken a look back at our past and tried to find patterns that have brought us where we are today and are even bringing us forward. Because just before this episode, we were talking about things that we want to see and other ways that we want to help see multicultural women succeed. It never ends. It's like this revolving iteration of ourselves and of our lives. And what we want to encourage women and all of you who are listening to do is to think back. What are the little things that sparked you and interested you in your childhood as a teenager, as you've grown into your career? Has it disappeared? And have you seen instances along the way in your career where some of those bright lights, those really cool ideas and passionate things have like have there been moments where it's dimmed or you kind of lost sight of who you were? So, you know, it's it's hard to create what you want to see when you forget yourself. Wow, that's a really good question. Yes, I would say there's been times where I was so busy trying to fit in to figure things out that I forgot what I really was there for. I think I have like that moment, like, why am I not fighting for the things that I believe in. And I had to kind of do like a self-check and really look at what my values were and, and was I being authentic to those values. So to answer your question, yes, I definitely been in positions where I kind of said, you know, I was too busy trying to please other people or just trying to do something else. But I had to really quickly look and figure out that my authenticity was at risk. And now while I know authenticity is different for everyone, I needed to understand what it meant to me. And there was a point in my life where I forgot who I really was because I was too busy trying to fit in, right? So one of the things that I've learned to do, and this took time, was really understand my values and have my values be my compass. And my values then represented my authentic self. Because sometimes I think, even me, I confuse flexing my style with my authentic self. And now I realize that I can flex, but my authenticity is never lost. And what I realized as I got older is that I learned that the price to pay to flex on my values was too high. The emotional tax, the physical, the mental stress, the impact on my personal and professional relationships was not a price that I could any longer continue to pay. And I think that's really where I sit today. Today, I don't waver when it comes to my values. And I flex my style, but I don't flex anything else. Your core stays the same. Yeah, it has to. Otherwise, 
I go back to the price is too high. The price is too high to pay. And I'm not willing to pay that price any longer. What about you, Reza? Sorry, I cannot match that. <laughs> you two inspirational, Mirari. I'm just absorbed in like, wow, I want to be Mirari when I grow up. Because I honestly, I have to say, I want to say that I've conducted my life <laughs> following my values. I don't know if I have. I don't think my compass has been that clear. I think sometimes I may have done something that I needed to do because it was the thing to do, not necessarily what I wanted to do. But you paid the price. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I paid the price. I don't know. It depends on how you quantify or qualify the price. I think as you go to those stages of maturity, the way you approach what is the price that you're willing to take or to accept or to risk truly changes. And sometimes by the time you realize that you're paying a price, you're so bought into that. You're so bought into the job that you're doing. And it's already like two years, three years into that role because you were so busy doing it or doing something else that you didn't stop and thought, oh, is this, is this really in accordance to what I value or, or what it's important to me in a career, for instance. I'm just giving that example. And I think as you mature, you're able to make those choices and to pull out the compass much quicker and in a much more straightforward, easier way. And I'll give you an example for me. For me, there is a line that it's super important for me at work, which is respect and being respectful of your work and of other people's work, even if you don't appreciate what it looks like or how it turned out to be. I like to think that you go into this or you present your work with the best of intentions. And sometimes, right, people don't show respect for the effort that you put into that piece of work. And they might say, things that are not in accordance maybe with what in my book is being respectful of somebody. I think in the past, I would just be furious, <laughs> right? But wouldn't have said anything about it. Would have said a thing about it. Would have gotten really upset because either my work was being disrespected or somebody else that I worked with or in a situation that I was in, somebody else was being disrespected. For me, it's always been an issue since I joined the workforce. I think it's bare minimum just being respectful of each other and human beings, right? Because that's so important for me. I speak up and I say, this is unacceptable. And mm -hmm. I make choices around that. Choices in the sense of, I will call that out. I will call that behavior out because I don't think it's appropriate in the workplace to show disrespect for one another. It's a value, right, that maybe in the past I had it, but I did not necessarily have the strength or the maturity to then say things around it, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, as I got older, I learned that the price to pay is too high, right? And when I meant about your mental health, right? Because just like you mentioned, if somebody's being disrespectful, that's going to weigh you down mentally, physically. I mm -hmm. mean, it weighs you down. So for me, some of my values that I wasn't paying attention to was my family, 
right? Some of the things that you saw going on from an integrity perspective, right? Or my love for humanity, my love for Christ. Some of those things I wasn't paying attention to and those were my values and that was destroying me because the price that I was paying me physically, mentally, emotionally was too high. So to me, the way that I hear you speak about respect, that is a value that you had and maybe you weren't ready to speak up about it just like I wasn't for a long time. And now I'm like, it's not worth it. It is not worth it for my health, my well-being, not to stick up for my values. You want me to be authentic. Authenticity is my values. That's who represents me. Like I said, I can flex all day how we communicate, what I wear. I just don't mess with my values. <laughs> because now that I've gotten older, I realize that the minute I flex on my values, it impacts me the person that's trying to create a different world, a better world for all of us. I love that Rosa was talking about how angry she was getting because mm -hmm. I think anger is such an amazing indicator for boundaries. Like you get angry when your boundaries are crossed. And as you get older, you start to learn, oh, this is going to make me really mad. So I'm going to nip it in the bud now. Still save everybody yes. some heartache. <laughs> you start setting boundaries sooner and sooner and sooner because you can identify them a lot quicker. And an easy indicator is something like anger or sadness, any of those like negative emotions, because you know something's not right. I appreciate, Mirari, what you're saying, because I think we all have it, right? We all have very strong convictions, very strong values, very strong principles by which we rule our lives. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I feel that we need to be very careful, you know, imposing those onto others. A hundred percent. Because then we're judging. And especially when it comes to advancing women, multicultural women, women of color, this is very important because the way that we might show up might be different from the norm. Yeah, but I still think that being different shouldn't be an issue, right? I think it's all about respecting, unless your values are that you only care about what's important to you. And I think that's, that's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is that my values are unique to me and I should decide whether this place accepts my values or not. And your values are different than mine. Yeah. And I should be able to respect that. Let me respect what's important to you, but don't impose your values on me yeah. at the end of the day, because your values are your values. They may not be mine. And that's what we see a lot there within this context, that we are being imposed somebody else's values in order to make choices or in order to be considered for what the next role might be, right? Or yeah. what, what the next career progression might be. And that's, I think, where the breakdown potentially is, because you might want to be creating something specific, but then that doesn't match the way that you're being seen or you're being perceived or assessed by the given context in which you operate on a day-in-day-out basis from a work perspective. Yeah, and that's why it's important to understand your values and if you would waver or not. Absolutely. Because... These are my values and I know I will not waver because it will have such an impact in my life. So I understand that my values may rub people the wrong way, but who are my living, right? And what price am I willing to pay? If you're willing to pay the price and waver on your values, 
that's okay. But you really got to understand that. Are you willing to take that risk? Is that risk worth taking? For some people, it may be. For some people, not. At the end of the day, look, everything's a risk. Going after your dreams is a risk. Staying yeah. true to the values is a risk. Not staying true to is the risk. Choose your risk. Let me tell you something that I talked about yesterday in a conference that I was speaking at, which is this other side, right? There was a lot of conversation about being a champion of women at the workplace. There was a lot of conversation around sponsorship, which we've spoken about here before and what that means and the power of making connections and whatnot. It was very interesting to hear the general agreement in terms of what it means to be somebody else's champion and the the number of ideas that were coming up. What it was also interesting to me to hear is there were all these ideas that especially came up from men that were in the conference. There were both men and women in the conference, which was awesome to hear. It was really awesome to hear. But the point I want to make that I made yesterday in this conference was, first off, kudos for acknowledging that there is a need for championing this agenda for advancing women and in our case, multicultural women. And there is a need to become more sponsor-like attitude and behavior in order to elevate these women and elevate their voices. (laughs) But my question was, have you ever asked any of these women how they want to be championed? Because I think it's at the root of a lot of these issues, which is I think we think of a of a way of going about it and addressing whatever we call or may perceive as the gap. But we've never actually asked to that person, how can I make you successful? What would that look like? What does help look like for you? And it was very interesting (laughs) to, because I I don't think they had ever thought that that was a possibility. And I think that's the piece that you're saying, because we're all different, right? And we all have Mm -hmm. different compasses, if you like. Yeah, because ultimately creating what you want to see, you want to see everybody to be respected for their unique gifts. And you got to start by respecting your own so that you could lead number one by example. But I want to create a world where people respect each other the way that they are and not by imposing your values on somebody else. To create what you want to see doesn't mean an initiative at work. It doesn't mean a podcast. It doesn't mean a job or a company. It's also just what you said when we first started, Rosa, you were like, create the life that you want. I used to do this program many years ago, and it was about innovating what has not been created. And that was a big question for people to answer, right? Like, but how, how do I go about innovating something? And we used to give folks in the program a brick, like a clay brick. And the question was, go take an hour and come back with something, come back with a product with just a brick. And I remember people would yell at me, like, what do you think I can create out of a brick? And are you going to give me anything else? Do I get paper? Do I get this? Do I get the other? And I said, no, 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 just go. And just spend an hour with a group thinking about what you can create out of a brick. And despite of the pushback, 
despite of the uncomfortness, despite all the like, this is impossible kinds of attitude because you've only given me a brick to work with. The creativity, the amount of ideas, the products, these people used to come up with coming back only after an hour of pushing their thinking beyond what we th they thought it was possible, it was unbelievable. So I think the one thing that I'll say, think about what is your brick and go out and think about it. And at first, it may not make sense, but there's more than just to a brick. And think you have a brick, you have a brick in your mind or something tangible. Go and just spend time and push through, be creative. This more is just exercise that mind and that possibility. And it's, and I know I talk a lot about this, but sometimes we are our worst enemies when it comes to breaking through the mold and thinking and creating things that at first you didn't think were possible. I think that's why we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you know, our experiences growing up and as teenagers in our early 20s, those are essentially like are the bricks that we've built upon in our lives. I love what you said. There's so many possibilities if you just change the perspective, like work with what you've mm -hmm. got is like is, is the theme here and then create what you want to see with what you have. Want to know how Breaking the Rules can help you level up your career game? Search What Rules Podcast on any social media platform and join our members-only group on LinkedIn, where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a production of Color Forward. The show is produced by me, Elisa Monjadas, with editing and fabulous sound design by Mathar Delion. Visit colorforward.com for more stories, events, and of course, all the episodes of What Rules. And I love that because it's still a brick. It's still authentic to itself. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right.